0: New York City in the year 2022. Nothing runs anymore, nothing works, but the people
1: are the same and the people will do anything to get what they need. This is the police.
0: What they need most is Soylent Green.
1: Oh, fantastic. Soylent Green is 2022. What could possibly go wrong? Oh I'm so scared, and kids, I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I get downstairs. Clowns to the
2: left of me, Jokers to the right, here I am. Stuck in the middle with you.
1: Hey there. Here I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. Not to mention the fact that we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much joining us for joining us for yet another new year. On Monday, it was confirmed. New York, New York's Attorney General, has issued subpoenas. To former President Donald Trump and, which we didn't know before, by the way, uh, we didn't know before at all, that his two eldest children have also been subpoenaed by Attorney General Letitia James in connection with her ongoing civil investigation into the family's... Allegedly fraudulent business practices going back years that according to a court filing unsealed by the New York State Supreme Court on Monday, confirming that, yes, all three Trumps had been slapped with subpoenas for documents and testimony on December one. Must have been a very Merry Christmas at Mar-a-Lago. That subpoena is, quote, in connection with an investigation into the valuation of properties owned or controlled by Trump and his company, the Trump Organization. So, yeah. Yeah. Happy New Year and welcome to 2022. See? It could be worse, Desi Doyen.
2: <laughs> it could always be worse. <laughs> but
1: we'll get there, I'm afraid. We'll take what
2: we can get, right? Hope
1: now. you're doing well. Hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone is is feeling uh, good, rested, and healthy. Welcome to the Bradcast where Desi and me are bothly back. Uh, I both Anyway, we are both back after a week off over the holidays, during which the great Nicole Sandler sat in for us for the bulk of the holiday break and offered some terrific shows in the bargain. One in particular, by the way, regarding January 6th and Merrick Garland and accountability, uh, which I suspect we will be talking about uh, maybe even today and certainly in the days ahead as well. Also. Given the news breaking today regarding Trump and his subpoenas, I'm going to kick some planned coverage on the latest COVID news down the line as well. Other than to say that I hope you have all stayed uh, safe and healthy over the holiday break as infections continue to explode here in the U.S. Thanks to the Omicron variant with uh, cases now Up Well, over 200 percent across the country over the past 14 days, including here in California, where we have uh, at least until now, we've had things relatively well under control over the past year and a half or so. And now we are seeing cases explode, whether hospitalizations and death uh, will follow thereafter remains to be seen. But just to kick off 2022 on the right side, on the right note for the moment, uh, before it all goes quickly south, uh, the Trump news about the subpoenas. Well, that may kick off your new year with some much needed endorphins to help get us out of the holiday stupor as we uh, reset for what is going to be a very, very busy year I'm afraid. And it's already busy right out of the gate. New York Attorney General James is also seeking to depose the former president and his two older uh, oldest kids as part of this probe. All three are naturally challenging those subpoenas, as Trump's do, with the disgraced former president suing the attorney general in response. That happened uh, before the holiday break, describing her investigation as, quote, corrupt. And of course... A witch hunt, as he does. Lawyers for James's office already deposed Trump's son Eric in this same probe in late 2020 after he successfully tried to quash it. James's office is looking into whether to file a civil suit against the company in her probe focused on whether, Trump's, whether Trump fraudulently inflated the value of his assets to secure bank loans and or fraudulently understated those assets Elsewhere, In order to reduce his tax bill, James's office is also involved in the separate criminal investigation, criminal investigation, which is now being led by the new Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg. He was sworn in over the weekend on Saturday, replacing the previous district attorney, Cyrus Vance, Jr., who had been uh, supervising uh, the criminal investigation here, but he has now left the office as of the end of the year. That office has already brought criminal tax uh, tax fraud, fraud charges against the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, and the Trump Organization itself. They were each indicted in July as part of that criminal inquiry and accused uh, by Mr. Vance at the time uh, of running a tax avoidance scheme in which executives were compensated with off-the-books benefits. There has been an additional grand jury um, uh, brought together in that case to look at other elements of the uh, Trump organization's tax uh, alleged tax fraud, one of them being the different valuations for properties that the attorney general is looking at As a civil matter at the same time that the Manhattan District Attorney is looking at it as a criminal matter. Yes, I know it's a lot of Trump criming to keep up with, but the Trumps uh, apparently do a whole lot of criming. And as we reported in the lead up to the holidays, a lot of those crimes are likely to cause a lot of problems for the twice impeached disgraced former president in the new year. Even while many may be justifiably frustrated with the speed that this is happening, particularly from the U.S. Department of Justice and Merrick Garland, which we will almost certainly be discussing in the days ahead. I've got some other encouraging and and not so encouraging news that I want to use to help kick off the new year here as we try to reset and get our sea legs back here. We will see how much of it I can get to today after a week off. And I'd also love... If possible, what are the chances of this, Des? Uh, I'd love to open up the phones if time allows. About 50-50 chances at this point. We shall see. Uh, Anyway, uh, at least for a few minutes to get a sense of what you are hoping for and or hopeful about, if anything, in this new year. You can write down the number now, 818-985-5735. I am hopeful we'll be able to get to a few callers, but we will see. Uh, But the new year... Uh, I'm sorry, the old year ended actually very grimly for a bunch of folks in Colorado. As a reminder, uh, yes, in case you forgot to watch Don't Look Up over the holidays on Netflix, uh, as a reminder of climate change still bearing down hard on us. And I'm sorry to say it is just getting started. On Sunday, a Colorado official said nearly 1,000 homes and other structures were destroyed Hundreds more were damaged. Three people remain missing after an unusual and explosive December wildfire just just blew up and charred a whole bunch of neighborhoods in a suburban area at the base of the Rocky Mountains outside of Denver near Boulder. Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pelley also said on Saturday that investigators are still trying to find the cause of the wind whipped blaze that erupted on Thursday and blackened entire neighborhoods in the now very well populated area located between Denver and Boulder. Uh, Pelley said utility officials found no downed power lines around where the fire broke out amid hurricane force wind gusts. He said authorities were pursuing a number of tips and had executed a search warrant at one particular location, whatever that means. He declined to give details. But some in the media have been reporting that the blaze may have been originally sparked by arson. So while we don't yet know what actually sparked it, I believe we do know what is uh, what has made it so devastating, Desi Doyen.
2: Uh, yes, we do. I mean, it may be that the cause was accidental arson, as seems to be the direction that officials are looking right now. It accidental
1: arson? Yeah, is there accidental such a
2: thing? arson as in a uh, arson is a person starting it rather yeah. than a natural cause like okay. lightning. So accidental arson would be somebody who was, you know, uh, doing something that they probably shouldn't have been and, uh, and sparked the fire and was unable to keep it from spreading. So, I believe there
1: was a red flag warning in place because they knew these high winds were coming, yes, so there was a red was flag forecast. warning. They weren't supposed to be making fires outside or right or yeah. causing
2: any sparks, you know, that could also be an accidental arson cause. Gotcha. But regardless of what the actual, you know, proximal 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 cause would be, yep. that it would the we, we I think we know that the most important cause of it is man-made global warming because the conditions in Colorado were were ripe for a conflagration of this And that's because of the factors that have been brought by global warming. Um, There was record dryness in Colorado. Uh, It's in the middle of of an extreme drought, nearly the entire state. Uh, Denver just had its longest snowless year on record, 232 days without snow. And then when it did finally snow in December, on December 10th, that was the first snow in 230 days. It wasn't much and the, wow. uh, the dryness and the warmth, Denver just had its warmest December on record, which, you know, we're waiting to see if that will be confirmed. So we have a multiplicity of factors yeah. here. We've got the record warm temperatures, the record drought that is persistent, and we had incredibly high winds. Like you said, that wind event was predicted, was forecast, but I don't think they predicted hurricane-force winds. 110, 115-mile-per-hour gusts, that's the equivalent of like a Category 2 or 3 hurricane. So... That drove the fire to destroy all of yeah. these buildings within a matter of hours. And that was the other factor that has also played into this. That's a man-made factor as well. The so, development in all of these areas between the city of Denver and the city of Boulder that uh, really shouldn't have been in those areas that were prone to wildfire.
1: And in addition to the, uh, the, the unusually warm weather and the unusually dry conditions that have been uh, plaguing this area, uh, as I recall, a few years ago, didn't they have that uh, that that beetle bark bug? What is it that oh, killed the pine a, beetle pine infestation? Pine beetle, yeah, yeah has that
2: destroyed. It's killed millions of trees across the U.S. West and and turn them
1: basically into matchstick. I mean, they dry out. They're in place if they're not taken down. They're just sitting there waiting to go absolutely, up. Absolutely, but
2: let's be clear: this yeah. was an urban fire. This was not a forest fire. It was more of a. It was right in that place that what's hmm. called the wildland urban interface, where. Hmm. It changes from forest into grassland, where there's more development mm-hmm. that is now encroaching on the forest. But this was out in a grasslands area, which you know gave it a lot of fuel because it has been so dry.
1: We are going to see a lot more of these sorts of things, I'm afraid, in the days ahead, as you say, as there's been you know more development in many more places.
2: Yeah, and the and the building codes have not kept up with mm-hmm. the expansion of wildfire. You know, so there will also be some investigation uh, as to whether or not changing building codes would help to make these homes if they're going to build in a wildfire area that's known and prone to wildfires, then change the building codes so houses don't burn so easily.
1: You watched Don't Look Up over the holiday break. Did you enjoy it?
2: I did and didn't. I would say (laughs) I found it hilarious and painful. Yes. So it was probably, I guess, uh, it was a bittersweet thing. I
1: I found it painful and not hilarious. Not (laughs) hilarious at all. It was quite quite dispiriting. And it was like, oh, okay, well, let's start a week off. Let's watch a movie. That was kind of a busman's holiday. Don't look up. A- everyone should see it. It's Absolutely. It's an excellent everybody movie. Everybody should
2: see it. It's incredibly well made. It's really funny. and it's it's. But it's, for
1: people like us who have been uh, shouting these warnings for going on uh, two decades now, it was kind of dispiriting. I will just say <laughs> well,
2: that. Yeah, okay. I, you, you might have been dispirited. I thought that, hey, maybe if people see this, it will actually help turn the mirror upon our society so that people will take action. Well, so. I thought
1: that was true, too. But I was still dispirited by it. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, so. Thank you very much. Um, you know, back to, well, some maybe better news here from over the weekend, depending on how you may look at it. Uh, for some, it may be good news. Uh, for others, it may not be good news at all. Uh, This was just one of the things, actually, I had hoped to open the phone lines on, in addition to what you may be either most hoping for and or hopeful about in the new year at 818-985-5735. But uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene's personal Twitter account was permanently suspended this weekend. Following, quote, repeated violations of the social media platform's COVID-19 misinformation policy in a statement, Twitter called its uh, cited its strike system for its policy in the decision to permanently suspend the far-right lawmaker's personal account, saying that it will, quote, permanently suspend accounts for repeated violations of that policy. According to The New York Times, Green hit a fifth strike in that policy, Uh, Meaning, you know, she got a fifth warning, essentially, uh, and that her account will not now be restored after she had baselessly tweeted about, quote, extremely high amounts of COVID vaccine deaths on Saturday. COVID, not COVID deaths, COVID vaccine deaths, she claimed. She lied. Green's uh, tweet contained a misleading chart drawing from a government database of unverified data called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS, as it is known to many. Uh, at least to many of the anti-vaxxers who wrongly cite or who have been hoaxed into wrongly citing the CDC's VAERS database. We've discussed this uh, over many months now. In case you don't know, in case you haven't heard, that database relies on self-reported cases from patients and/or healthcare providers, supposedly patients, supposedly healthcare providers. In other words, I can go to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System myself today, and I can enter a record that, say, that says that the vaccine turned me into a toad.
2: So could I go on and I could say that hey, I grew a third arm yes. out of my forehead? Yes, you
1: can. <laughs> yes, you can thats is that that is the database that, that would be a part of the official record that these anti-vaxxers uh, most often cite in making their false arguments about the dangers of the vaccines. They point to that database. And because it's run by the CDC, they can say, oh, it's the government's own database. Look what we have uncovered to prove how many people are dying from the vaccine. I could say that I personally know 200 people. Two thousand people who dropped dead on the way home from getting their uh, getting their shots. And that would soon be cited as part of the uh, tens of thousands of people who have died getting the shots, getting the vaccine shots. As heard on auspicious news outlets like Facebook and Fox News and then even repeated foolishly by disinformed callers to this show from time to time. So. In case you hear that, in case you hear about that database, in case you hear about those secret uh, COVID vaccine deaths that the government doesn't want you to know about, well, that's what this is about. Previously, uh, Twitter had issued Congresswoman Green a fourth strike back in August after uh, a tweet baselessly claimed that vaccines were, quote, failing, which is true if by failing she means keeping people alive. Green's uh, third strike occurred less than a month before that one uh, when she tweeted that COVID-19 did not pose a threat for people unless they were obsessed or over age 65, which, of course, is also true if, if you ignore those tens of thousands of Americans who have been killed by COVID who are under the age of 65. Green has become known for her incendiary tweets, of course, which include posting the QAnon slogan, pushing the still completely evidence-free big lie of a stolen presidential election and comparing the House's mask policy in the U.S. House to the Holocaust. Because, you know, being forced to wear a mask to help keep other people alive is totally the same as forcing millions of citizens to wear a symbol. That marks them for death by the government in concentration camps. Totally the same thing. How can you not see that, sheeple? However, uh, Green's official congressional Twitter account that has not been suspended, at least not yet, it appears to have not violated the platform's policies. The permanent suspension of her personal Twitter account comes amid a surge in cases of the Omicron variant nationwide. Last year, of course, as you will Fondly remember, I know I do, Twitter permanently banned former President Donald Trump over a risk of, quote, further incitement of violence following his supporters breaching the Capitol on January 6th on the day of the joint session of Congress certifying Joe Biden's electoral victory in Trump's last ditch effort to steal the 2020 election through violence and mayhem. Uh, It is there that I want to uh, take a quick break here and pick up on uh, afterwards. Um, But until today suddenly got so busy, I had hoped to open those phone lines. We'll see 818-985-KPFK to your thoughts on the permanent Twitter ban of Marjorie Taylor Greene and the idea of social media outlets banning people like her, a sitting congresswoman and a former president at all. Uh, I am curious what you think about that. Is that a good idea? Are you comfortable with a social media site like Twitter permanently removing the personal accounts of sitting members of Congress and and now former presidents? For the record, as we've discussed over the years on this show, I'm not entirely comfortable with it, especially as someone who has myself. I have been uh, temporarily suspended from Twitter for reporting on something about elections that was 100 percent accurate. Demonstrably so. Independently verifiable. This was back in October of 2020, about a month before the election, when every election system database in the state of Georgia was failing, was found to have a flaw that kept it from working accurately with the state's new touchscreen voting systems. I reported on that on Twitter. And uh, I was uh, warned by Twitter that I would be uh, not allowed to tweet Unless I deleted that tweet. Now, Twitter was wrong. I was right. But I had to delete the tweet before I was allowed to use Twitter again. So I don't like the idea of some unknown panel sort of deciding what is right and wrong or accurate or not. However, that said, however, when it comes to things that get people killed, like lies about vaccines and diseases and calls for violence well, I admit to being uh, somewhat more sympathetic to such bans, even if I am trepidatious about it. Anyway, we'll see if we have time for calls on that. If anybody wants to line up, 818-985-5735. Uh, but let's take a break right here. We'll come back with a, uh, a reset uh, where uh, we're in, in regard to that breach of the U.S. Capitol in hopes of of stealing a presidential election, as this week will mark the one year anniversary since the deadly Trump-incited attack that came really within a hair's breadth of taking down what is left of American democracy altogether. So uh, now, as the uh, New York Times editorial board correctly argued on New Year's Day, now every day is January 6th, and I believe they're absolutely right. That story, where it is headed, and if time, your calls are coming up on today's broadcast as the new year begins. Same place as the old year. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast.
2: You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you, who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.
1: Some things in life are bad. They can really make you made. <laughs> Always look on the light side of life. Yes, please do. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman life from, ro- from BradBlog dot And life does seem jolly rotten, doesn't it? Uh, welcome back. I uh, let me. Uh, it was a couple of people that jumped in. Let me uh, take a, a very quick call, and then I'll get on to uh, January six and what I really want to talk about uh, very quickly. Dan in Goleta. Hey, Dan. Welcome to the broadcast. What's up? No, oh, oh, hi, Brad. I just want to say real quick the COVID thing. I was debating my libertarian brother from um, Alabama about this, and then he hit me with. He said that 80% of people who die from COVID are overweight or obese, and it brought me up short. And I wasn't sure how to respond. And I was wondering if you know anything about this, or if that's because I never hear that. Well, actually, Their, yeah, I... just like. Is it Q and on stuff or what? No, actually, the uh, uh, people who are over uh, overweight or or obese are much much more at threat from uh, COVID. That is absolutely true. That said, I don't know what the number is. I don't know if your friend is right about uh, your your brother about know, eight, my brother. Your brother, yeah. I don't know if 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 your brother is right about the eighty percent. But let's assume he is. If he is. That means, well, uh, 20,000 will die for every 100,000 who die in this country. I think we're up to about 800,000. I think we're over 800,000 at this point. So that is, oh, yeah, nothing to worry about. 160,000 Americans have been killed by COVID, Um, uh, you know, uh, who were not obese, even if your brother is right on that number. So not sure if that's a chance I want to take. I'm not obese. But uh, does does that uh, help help speak to your brother? Yeah, I, I wanted to find out the statistic, but that—I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, we just—we get into debates, and I just wanted to run that by you. Yeah, anyway, well, he's been, he has been—he—he—he might be uh, correct on that number. I do, again, I don't know the uh, specific statistics, but we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are at risk who have no pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, if you consider uh, being overweight or obese to be a pre-existing condition, so hopefully that helps, Dan. Thanks for that call and happy New Year, my friend. Okay. Uh, let me go. Let me take one more here. Harold in Santa Barbara. Hey, Harold. Welcome to the broadcast. Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you.
0: And as always, let's look at the bright side of life. Uh, this green uh, person, I mean, this is a double-edged sword. I don't agree with her, but who determines who
1: gets kicked off Facebook and Twitter, etc.? Who determines that? Uh, the people who run Twitter. And Facebook, etc. They're the ones who get to decide as a private uh, organization. They get to do what they want, just like at Bradblog.com. If I want to ban you, Harold, if you come over to, uh, to Bradblog.com and you start being disruptive, you, if you start uh, calling for violence, if you start making uh, knowingly false claims, uh, I will let you know about that and uh, ask you to stop doing that. And if you don't stop doing it, you'll eventually not be able to comment at Bradblog.com.
0: That seems reasonable and fair.
1: I know! I agree! Thank you, Harold. And that's right yeah, all right. Take care. Uh, stay on the bright side of life, and Happy New Year, my friend. Uh, all right, there's a lot to get to uh, here, and I may want to revisit this New Year's Day editorial from the New York Times editorial board because I, I I believe they are right on the money, or at least about as close as we seem to get these days from the corporate media. In uh, this editorial, headlined "This is from New Year's Day," uh, headlined every day is January sixth now. They begin one year after the smoke and broken glass, the mock gallows and the very real bloodshed of that awful day. It is tempting to look back and imagine that we can, in fact, simply look back to imagine that what happened on January 6, 2021, a deadly riot at the seat of American government incited by a defeated president amid a last ditch effort to thwart the transfer of power to his successor They mean to steal the election from his successor and the American people. Uh, It is tempting to look back on it as uh, horrifying, but that it is in the past and that we as a nation have moved on. This, they write, is an understandable impulse. After four years of chaos, cruelty and incompetence culminating in a pandemic and the once unthinkable trauma of January 6th, Most Americans were desperate for some peace and quiet. Boy, howdy were we. On the surface, the Times writes, we have achieved that. Our political life seems more or less normal these days as the president pardons turkeys and Congress quarrels over spending bills, but peel back a layer and things are far from normal. January 6th is not in the past. It is every day. It is regular citizens who threaten election officials and other public servants who ask, quote, when can we use the guns? Really? Yes. One guy, I think it was in Florida, asked at a city council meeting, when can we use the guns? Uh, and, and who people who vow to murder politicians who dare to vote their conscience. It is Republican lawmakers scrambling to make it harder for people to vote and easier to subvert their will if they do. It is Donald Trump who continues to stoke the flames of conflict with his rampant lies and limitless resentments and whose twisted version of reality still dominates one of the nation's two major political parties. In short... The Republican, the the Republic, I should say. In short, the Republic faces an existential threat from a movement that is openly contemptuous of democracy and has shown that it is willing to use violence to achieve its ends. No self-governing society can survive such a threat by denying that it exists. Rather, survival depends on looking back and forward At the same time, which I'm afraid is what we continue to endeavor to do on this show every day. And I will add, it ain't easy. Truly grappling with the threat ahead, they write, means taking full account of the terror of that day one year ago. Thanks largely to the dogged work of a bipartisan committee in the House of Representatives, this reckoning is underway. We know now that the violence and mayhem broadcast around the world was only the most visible and visceral part of the effort to overturn the election. To steal it! To steal it! New York Times editorial board the uh, the effort extended all the way into the Oval Office. They write where Mr. Trump and his allies plotted a constitutional self-coup, which is a fancy way of saying that they plotted to steal the election for themselves. Now, there's much more here on, on in this editorial from the uh, New York Times editorial board that uh, n- about what needs to be done. To face down this still rising threat to American democracy, including the need for federal legislation and accountability for the perpetrators all the way up to and including the former president. And as noted, I may return to this piece in the days ahead uh, on some of these uh, some of these details. But let me jump to the end here for the moment. They write whatever happens in Washington in the months and years to come. Americans of all stripes who value their self government must mobilize at every level. Not simply once every four years, but today and tomorrow and the next day to win elections and help protect the basic functions of democracy. If people who believe in conspiracy theories can win, they write, so can those who live in the reality based world. Above all, we should stop underestimating the threat facing the country. Thank you. Countless times over the past six years, up to and including the events of January 6th, Mr. Trump and his allies openly projected their intent to do something outrageous or illegal or destructive. Every time, the common response was that they weren't serious or that they would never succeed. How many times will we have to be proved Wrong before we take it seriously, the board asks. The sooner we do, the sooner we might hope to salvage a democracy that is in grave danger. All of that coming from the New York Times editorial board, and in this case, they could not be more spot on the money as far as I'm concerned, Now, how much uh, the American public yet understands that, despite that editorial, despite our efforts to warn damn near every day on this show for longer than I care to remember, but it's going to continue for much longer than I uh, even care to hope for. Uh, But how much of the American people yet understands this very real threat, that is not at all clear to me at this point. A majority of Americans condemn the January 6th riot and believe that former President Trump bears at least some responsibility for that violent attack on the Capitol. That, according to an ABC News Ipsos poll that found 72 percent of Americans said the people involved in the riot were mostly threatening democracy, while 25 percent said that those people were mostly protecting democracy.
2: That's delusional. You think? I mean, we all watched it on TV. Where was the protecting democracy part?
1: That's what they think they were doing. So that's a full, you know, one quarter of the American electorate that views this deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol by a Trump-incited MAGA mob to try and steal a legitimate presidential election. They consider that to be protecting democracy. Now, you might say, oh, it's only 25 percent, but that equates to tens of millions of Americans, often the most violent ones. You know, it's like saying, oh, 80 percent of those killed by covid were obese. So why worry? The uh, this new poll also found that only 58 percent of people surveyed said that Trump bore a great deal or a good amount of responsibility for the Capitol riot? A majority, yes, but not an overwhelming one. 41% said the Donald Trump board, no, or just some responsibility. 41% of Americans. A majority of Americans also said that they believe that Joe Biden's 2020 presidential election victory was legitimate. That's good. 65% of Americans agree. Just 65 So it's good, I guess, because it's a majority, but still one third, 33 percent a year later said that they think Biden's victory was not legitimate one year after he was inaugurated. And after zero, and I mean zero, legitimate, independently verifiable evidence has been offered to even question the final results of the presidential race in any state. And believe me, I look, I look when I see this evidence. If you've listened to the broadcast over the years... Over the going on 20 years uh, since we set up bradblog.com, you know that this is what we cover. We cover this very closely. And when I hear a, a claim about election fraud or even election error in a voting system or something like that, I look into it and I have looked into these claims all over the country for the past year. And so far, I have found bupkis, nada, zero, nothing that currently makes me question the results of the 2020 election. And yet, 33% of Americans think that Joe Biden's victory was not legitimate. What's their evidence? Eh, don't ask. The uh, top line findings of this new poll, uh, of course, begin to diverge along partisan lines. For example, the partisan findings are even more stark with the vast majority of Republicans, if you just focus on them, The vast majority are convinced that the election was stolen. No evidence apparently is necessary. And just 45% of Republicans believe that the people involved in the attack on the Capitol were threatening democracy. Just 45%. So a majority of the Republicans do not think that. A majority of the Republicans do believe, I guess that those people who attacked the Capitol were actually protecting democracy. It's it's just astounding. In comparison, 96% of Democrats believe that those involved in the attack were threatening democracy, according to ABC's poll. Clearly, uh, those of us in the reality-based world have a bit of work to do. Another poll out over the weekend from Morning Consult sort of uh, underscores that. Former President Trump's efforts to overturn, to steal. Morning Consult, it's to steal. It's not to overturn. It was to steal the 2020 presidential election. Why is this so hard? I don't know. Anyway... His efforts to steal the election, uh, culminating in the deadly riot that sought to block Congress's certification of Biden's victory on January 6th, marred voters' views on the state of the GOP and prompted questions about whether the GOP could recover in the future. Well, a year later, Morning Consult trend data paints a clear picture. It has. The GOP has recovered. They find that there is no lasting stain on the Republican brand. And though most voters, at least a 59 percent majority, continue to blame Trump for the events as a congressional probe homes in on him, they do not appear ready to punish Republicans for the attack on American democracy. Which is astounding to me. They will not blame Republicans. They will not hold them accountable, even though Republicans blocked a bipartisan, a completely even bipartisan uh, a, a committee commission that would have looked into the January Six attacks. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me between August 20 uh, August of 2020. And immediately after Trump's supporters raided the Capitol, the share of voters who said the GOP was headed in the right direction at the time fell from 32 percent to 24 percent, driven largely by Republicans and independents. But now sentiment about the Republican Party's trajectory is slightly better than it was before January 6th. According to the latest data. Uh, gathered in December from 2,000 registered voters ahead of the anniversary of the January 6th attack, 34% of all voters now say that the Republican Party is headed in the right direction. Now, that's not a lot. That's not a huge uh, number of Americans, certainly not a majority, but a number that is noteworthy because it is higher than it was before January 6 of last year, apparently attacking the U.S. Capitol has made people think better of the Republican Party, at least by two points. It's within the margin of error, but it has not clearly not hurt the Republican brand. The Improvement was most notable, of course, among Republicans themselves, 65 percent of whom say their party is heading in the right direction, up, up uh, 14 percentage points since January of 2021. So among Republicans... They think they are more on the right track now than they were even back uh, at the beginning of twenty twenty one.
2: I think part of that is because there have been zero consequences. I mean, there have been a few consequences that are serious for some of the low-level people who showed up uh, to run uh, roughshod over the Capitol, the insurrectionists. But as far as, you know, higher-ups in the Republican Party, Republican politicians, congressional Republicans, um, there has been zero consequences for them. I mean, corporate media is still welcoming the coup plotters, people who we know— You know, have been where we're we're part of the uh, the top level organizing of the coup attempt. Let's just have
1: them back on TV and ask them how they feel about uh, Joe Biden's plans for spending.
2: Gosh, how's that inflation going? You know, so it, it there without well, consequences, then I think that that is part of the reason why so much of the American public doesn't realize so much of the Republican Party was directly involved.
1: as in I said, uh, we have clearly got a lot of work to do this year. Uh, but when it comes to that accountability, thankfully, for the first time, I believe I can say uh, in my adult life, uh, it seems that we actually have a committee in Congress, a bipartisan committee in Congress. Who seems to get all of this, who seems to understand the need for accountability, and they seem to get it big time. As we uh, begin the new year, the uh, panel, the U.S. House Select Committee, looking into the January 6 attack and more, uh, they have now interviewed more than, th- more than 300 witnesses. They've collected tens of thousands of documents. They've traveled around the country, we have now learned, in order to talk to election officials who were pressured by Donald Trump, often personally. This according to AP Today. Uh, Now, after six months of intense work, the House committee investigating the insurrection is preparing to go public. In the coming months, members of the panel will start to reveal their findings against the backdrop of the former president and his allies' persistent efforts to whitewash the riots and reject suggestions that he helped instigate them. That even after, by the way, a bipartisan 57 to 43 majority of the U.S. Senate. That includes seven Republican senators at the t- Actually, uh, I think it was nine Republican senators at, at the time, if I'm remembering it correctly. At Trump's second impeachment trial, they agreed that Trump did exactly that. He instigated, he incited that attack on the Capitol. It's a bipartisan majority in the U.S. Senate. The committee, uh, the House committee also faces the burden of trying to persuade the American public that their conclusions are fact based and credible. But the nine lawmakers on the committee, seven Democrats, two Republicans, are united in their commitment to tell the full story of what happened on January 6th. And they are now planning televised hearings and reports that will bring their findings out into the open. Their goal is not only to show the severity of the riot, but also to make a clear connection between the attack and Trump's brazen pressure on the states and Congress to overturn, yes, to steal AP, to steal Joe Biden's legitimate election as president. Uh, Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the committee's vice chair and one of its two Republican members, said over the weekend the full picture is coming to light. Despite President Trump's ongoing efforts to hide the picture, I don't think there's any area of this broader history in which we aren't learning new things, she said. While the fundamental facts of January 6 are known, the committee says the extraordinary trove of material that they have collected, including more than 35,000 pages of records, texts, emails, phone records from people who are close to Trump, that all of that is fleshing out critical details of the worst attack on the Capitol in two centuries which played out on live television. They hope to fill in the blanks about the preparations before the attack, the financing behind the January 6 rallies that preceded it, and the extensive White House campaign to overturn the 2020 election. AP to steal the 2020 election. They are also investigating what Trump himself was doing as his supporters fought their way into the Capitol. As of this weekend, we've got an even better idea of that. That, thanks again to Liz Cheney. And yes, firsthand testimony and documents revealing what we had all figured, that he was just sitting there as the Capitol was under attack, as it has not been in some 200 years and has never been at the hands of a domestic mob, as Liz Cheney explained to ABC's George Stephanopoulos.
0: The committee has first-hand testimony now that he was sitting in the dining room next to the Oval Office watching the attack on television uh, as as the assault on the Capitol occurred. Uh, we know, uh, as you, you know well, uh, that the briefing room at the White House is just a mere few steps from the Oval Office. The president could have at any moment walked those very few steps into the briefing room, gone on live television, and told his supporters who were assaulting the Capitol, to stop. He could have told them to stand down. He could have told them to go home. uh, And he failed to do so. Uh, It's hard to imagine a more significant and more serious dereliction of duty uh, than that. Is his failure to make that statement criminal negligence? You know, uh, I think that that there are a number of, as the chairman said, uh, potential criminal statutes uh, at issue here. Uh, But I think that that there's absolutely no question that it was a dereliction of duty. Uh, And and I think one of the things the committee needs to look at as we're looking at a legislative purpose is whether we need enhanced penalties for that kind of dereliction of duty. Uh, But but I think it's also important for the American people to understand how dangerous Donald Trump was. Uh, We know as he was sitting there in the dining room next to the Oval Office, Uh, Members of his staff were pleading with him to go on television to tell people to stop. We know Leader McCarthy uh, was pleading with him to do that. We know members of his family. We know his daughter. We have firsthand testimony uh, that his daughter Ivanka uh, went in at least twice uh, to ask him to please stop this violence. Uh, Any man who would not do so, any man who would provoke a violent assault on the Capitol to stop the counting of electoral votes, any man who would watch television. As police officers were being beaten, uh, as, as his supporters were invading the capital of the United States, is clearly unfit for future office, uh, clearly can never be anywhere near the Oval Office uh, ever again. Hillary
1: Clinton said a couple of weeks ago that if he runs and wins, that could be the end of our democracy. Do you share
2: that fear?
0: I do. Uh, I think it is critically important, given everything we know about the lines that he was willing to cross. He crossed lines no American president has ever crossed before.
1: That was conservative Republican Congresswoman uh, Liz Cheney agreeing, by the way, with Hillary Clinton uh, that democracy may be done for if Donald Trump is able to run and win office again in 2024 that was Liz Cheney this weekend on ABC's this week she would later on go on to say quote I think this is one of the single most important congressional investigations in history and yes I believe Liz Cheney is right which is something that I thought I would never say had you asked me back in 2020, would I ever say anything like that? I believe Liz Cheney is
2: right. Yeah. And, and she had also said that, you know, she agrees with Hillary Clinton, that Trump's return to office right? would mean disaster for democracy. Yeah. What was so... the
1: over under on that on Liz Cheney <laughs> saying, I agree with Hillary Clinton? Clinton. Yeah. I know. Uh, by the way, uh, the committee itself. And this is what actually gives me hope here. Because you've got Liz Cheney out really taking the lead, along with the uh, chairman, Benny uh, Thompson, a Democrat from uh, Mississippi. They are working together. They are in lockstep. I don't remember seeing a, a congressional committee like this, where everyone on both sides are working towards the same goal, where there seems to be no partisan bickering, no fights about what they should and shouldn't do. Uh, And everyone on the committee seems to be in full agreement on that. Democratic uh, California Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, she's a veteran of these sorts of investigations. She was actually a staffer on the House Judiciary Committee during the Watergate investigation of uh, Richard Nixon. She said, uh, quote, there is no division, no hostility, no partisan bickering. It's like, let's just get the job done. Congressman Pete Aguilar, also of California, fellow Democratic committee member, said it's good. It's how Congress should be. So that gives me hope. But I'll tell you what, I I lie in bed. I, I actually do this. I know I'm weird. I lie in bed at night pondering ways that, A, Republicans can steal the next presidential election in broad daylight and, B, Ways to stop them from being able to do so. And I got to say, so far, I have been unable to come up with a way to stop them. If they decide as a party that they no longer wish to have anything to do with reality, if they simply wish to declare that they won and they do that in the right states where they control the legislature and where they are more and more controlling the election apparatus itself, if they do that, if they just decide to say they won, whether they did or not, if they do that in the states and if they do that in Congress, there will likely... You know, where Republicans, by the way, will also have likely have control of at least one of the two houses by then. If they decide to do that. But there is really nothing that can be done to stop them as things are now. And by the way, at the U.S. Supreme Court, which the Republicans have already stolen from the American people, if you're looking at to them as a backstop for this theft, well, don't hold your breath. Unless the federal government, unfortunately right now, that means only Democrats at this point, since so far zero Republicans have been willing to join in the effort uh, in the U.S. Senate. Unless the federal government adopts new election protection laws, including the Freedom to Vote Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, an update to the Electoral Count Act of 1887, unless that happens, and by the way, even if it does But unless that happens, I see nothing to prevent a Republican Party that is willing to lie about the election and to steal the next presidential election. We'll have a lot to cover in the days and the months ahead and a lot of very difficult work to do in order to save this republic Uh, And the planet along with it. But I, you know, like I said, I never thought I would uh, say that, you know, folks like Dick, like uh, Liz Cheney, that she is giving me at least a modicum of hope. So did an interview, by the way, that our guest uh, our guest host, Nicole Sandler, did last week with our longtime friend and investigative journalist, Marcy Wheeler. She made the argument, contrary to many opinions expressed on this program, including by me, she made the argument that Attorney General Merrick Garland is doing exactly what he should be doing at this point, and that while the House Select Committee is working from the top down, the DOJ is working from the ground up. And Marcy believes that they are both working toward the same goal of accountability for the perpetrators of January 6, up to and including Donald Trump himself. I don't know if she's right, but she made a hell of a good case with a hell of a lot of evidence. You can uh, download that uh, th- that interview uh, with Marcy Wheeler at Bradblog.com. It went gangbusters the day that it was released uh, uh, at, at the blog and, and at Twitter over the past few uh, over the past week, really. So, I was going to ask, what are you hopeful for? What are you hopeful about in the new year? But of course, I've run out of most of my time. I will take a quick break here. We will come back to at least some of your calls at 818 985 5735, 818 985 KPFK. There's a lot to do all at once. Uh, So, what do you hope comes first? And what are you hopeful will actually come first? Quick break, and we're back. With our last few minutes, I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The broadcast.
2: What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
0: I come to sing a song In spite of everything ridiculous and sad Though I'm beyond belief, depressed, confused, and mad Well, I got dressed I underestimated how much that would take
1: (laughs) No kidding Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, no time at all, but let's use it. John in LA, welcome to the broadcast. Sir, Happy New Year. What's on your mind, my friend? Very quickly. Oh, John. Yeah, you, John. Yeah, okay. Uh, there was a debate of a young journalist with his mother. Was a honey. Uh, what's the evidence for your beliefs that Biden stole the election? My evidence is my belief. I believe it, therefore it's true. Belief mm. equals evidence. You cannot debate beliefs. Beliefs are, are, will never change, and that's the end of the story. Forget about trying to debate anybody when belief as evidence. You're absolutely right, John. Excellent point. And uh, Ted Lieu said, uh, Congressman Ted Lieu from uh, California also said something similar, I think, over the weekend. 147 Republicans voted to not certify the Electoral College results. And more than a year later, not a single one of them can identify who allegedly stole the election nor explain how it was done. And that's because the election was not stolen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's the problem. No evidence. But apparently, John, I think you're right. Uh, It doesn't matter. I believe it was. Therefore, it was. We would hardly be kicking off the new year uh, correctly if we didn't end the first broadcast of the year with a thought from our old friend Mo in Long Beach. Hey, Morris! Well, happy New Year, my friend. What you got? Happy new- everybody happy new year to everybody bradley not all is lost the democrats are getting serious about addressing that filibuster for particular uh, legislation and they're concentrating on the voting protection so all is not lost it's a new year a new sheriff in town i appreciate that hopefulness morris i hope you are right thank you brother all right we got to get out my thanks to our producer desi Doyen, to my board operator today mark maxwell happy new year to you both and uh, my thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's program download it anytime for free at bradblog.com drop me email if you like I am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the tweeters I am the Brad blog we will see you there until we see you here next time hopefully tomorrow I'm Brad Friedman good luck world